Hi, this is Suparna Goswami, Principal Correspondent with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking today with Rajiv Pugakia, Group VP Products and Business Development at Knock Labs. We will be discussing about challenges with regards to biometric authentication. Welcome Rajiv to the ISMG discussion. Thank you. So Rajiv, with passwords getting increasingly vulnerable, there has been an inherent shift towards other ways of authentication and behavioral biometrics happens to be one of them. In a day and age where privacy is being spoken about a lot in terms of data getting collected of an individual, how do biometrics differ from each other in principle? I think there's probably three different classes of biometrics that are in use. Most people are familiar if they have done any kind of international travel or if you live in in countries like India with what are called server-side biometrics. And the idea there is that when you present yourself at a border or you are in certain countries where you need certain classes of government benefits, uh, there is a central authority who gathers your biometrics and enrolls you so that when you present yourself, your fingerprints, your face, your iris can be captured and the image or a template can be transmitted to a central authority who then performs a match. So this is generally called server-side match biometrics, and this has been with us for a few decades now almost. By contrast, what Apple, Samsung, and many others now have implemented and support in their operating systems is called client-side match biometrics, in which case, whether when you swipe your finger on your phone, for example, that biometric is not being transmitted to any central authority. It is being transmitted purely within the context of your personal mobile phone. Any templates that are stored for future matches are sequestered to that phone itself. There are organizations make commercial products based on using these gestures, not just to unlock the phone, but also to access online resources. And that's very different, obviously, from server-side biometrics because no inside or no biometrics are traveling to any central authority. The way you are proving who you are to that central authority is through a cryptographic protocol. So Rajiv, is behavior in biometrics used for the purpose of authentication or it does more than that? Behavioral biometrics are generally used for an entirely different purpose. They are not used for purposes of authentication. They are used to maintain a session to make sure, for example, that after you have authenticated yourself with your password biometric to this service that you're trying to access, typically what the service is doing is they challenge you once at the beginning of the session, and then they maintain some kind of cookie or the way of of saying it's the same person, it's the same person, it's the same person. Behavioral biometrics tries to gather passively information regarding how you're using, for example, your mobile phone or your keyboard, and it's combining all of this information into a judgment call that this is still the same person who presented themselves with their fingerprint. Okay, so what sort of technological challenges do you see for companies in this behavioral biometric space? Well, the the first is that when you talk about behavioral biometrics, the systems that are gathering this information generally are trying to poll or talk to as many sensors on your device as the situation allows. The, the couple of big challenges, generally speaking, in behavioral biometric has to do with accuracy, how fast you can get to a recognition that this is still the same person. 
because you're aggregating multiple pieces of data to figure that out. Second, during that process of gathering this data, there are concerns regarding the active polling of sensors because that causes sometimes a battery drain on a, a particularly on a mobile device. And so you may not be able to be active all the time in terms of understanding who the user is. So you have to be somewhat parsimonious about how you use the battery, even though you, you may have access to all the sensors. The third is phone makers are getting increasingly sensitive about passive collection of information from a user and, and a device. For example, uh, you may have come up against a familiar dialogue on Apple devices when a application wants to use your location and you have to explicitly grant that application a permission to use your, your location. So while these techniques all involve various kinds of data, the security and privacy regime on these mobile phones, you know, particularly Apple is extremely sensitive about privacy. So any sensitive collection of information typically will require explicit user consent. And so you have to be able to tell the user, why are you doing this? And what context that data will be used? Where is it stored? How is it processed? Then one of the challenges I didn't mention with things like behavioral biometrics is is when when you are using behavioral biometrics, you have to be super certain that the, the information that's coming from all of the sensors is coming from a real device, a real hardware device, as opposed to a virtual machine where someone is emulating how the user might use the device. And so I think those are some of the immediate challenges, which is accuracy, uh, battery life, an acknowledgement of from the user, consent from the user, and then privacy being being somewhat in line with whatever privacy measures that the device manufacturer specifies. And then depending upon which country you're operating in, there may be additional privacy concerns and regulations that you have to be compliant with uh, in terms of what data you can use in order to perform that calculation that this is still the right user. So Rajiv, what are the concerns when it comes to storing biometrics? What repercussions are there when it is compromised? And here I'm assuming that biometrics must have evolved over the years and the way it is being stored also must have evolved a lot. Well, uh, you know, as with any kind of biometric data, a lot depends on how that data is being collected, how it is being stored, how it is being processed, and what kind of profiles are being built for users associated with the biometric data. So many of the oldest border control systems were actually storing images of uh, people, for example, a face or a fingerprint in its raw form, just as an image, uh, in the back end. And so when people say, hey, if your biometrics are stolen, you cannot change them, that's kind of what they're referring to, which is this oldest generation of border control systems. Biometrics evolved a little bit so that what you try to do is not actually store the image, but what's called a template. What it's really doing is creating some kind of, of a web or a matrix of points. And it's really storing a mathematical representation of that biometric when a biometric template is stored on your phone. So what's stored on your phone, for example, isn't an actual image of your fingerprint. And what's more, that template is irrevocably linked to that particular phone or device that you're holding. A lot matters how you take the biometric, how you store it. A lot of behavioral biometric systems are not super clear about what kind of 
what form they collect this biometric data in, how they process it, how they store it, and then how they might uh, keep track of the end result. So just to give you a simple example, if a biometric system wants to record sensor information regarding my GPS and track my location in addition to the gyroscope and my keyboard typing speed. Then if it accumulates that information, start to create a trail of all of the locations that I have been. Now, obviously, the more responsible manufacturers of behavioral biometrics will try to anonymize this data or try to scrub the locations in a, in a way that you cannot put that kind of information together. But there are no standards as such in this area for how this information is collected, how it's stored, and how it's processed. And therefore, there may be some privacy hazards associated with the technique unless the manufacturer makes super clear exactly what is being collected, how it's being processed, how it's being stored, and whether that profile data is anonymized or there is identifiable person associated with that stored data. So Rajat, do you see a solution to this uh, problem? Yes, just like uh, biometrics went from client server-side biometrics that were collected by central authorities to biometrics that are stored and matched on the client on devices that are owned and managed individually by users. Similarly, behavioral biometrics has gone through, there are vendors uh, in the marketplace who implement behavioral biometrics entirely on the device itself. Uh, so there is no need to transmit this data to a central authority. The judgment call that this is still the person who authenticated with either your password or your fingerprint or token, that judgment can be performed entirely within the context of the phone itself and, and does not need to be transmitted or stored or collected by any kind of central authority. You know, I think in the in the end, there's no perfect answer with any of these. Which method of authentication you use is really a factor of what kind of risks you have uh, present uh, to deal with. All measures of authentication have challenges associated with, in the end, the choice of authenticator that you use and the authentication methods that you deploy are a factor of three things. What kind of usability do you want? for your end user. What kind of threats are you trying to prevent? And what are the economics that you're willing to bear? How much you're willing to spend to defray these costs? Well, thanks a lot, Rajiv, for sharing your thoughts on behavioral bi biometrics and its challenges. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. You were listening to Rajiv Dholakia for ISMG in Asia. This is Suparna Goswami. Thank you for listening.